Good morning. The reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 through to 12. This is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Berithnia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in these things that now have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. We know that God blesses the reading of his word. Let's just pray now before Paul comes and, and preaches. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us today. We praise and we thank you for your word, that you speak through it, and as we read it, we can hear the very voice of God. Lord, we thank you for that you have not left us on our own, but you are with us in this. And so we pray now for Paul. We thank you for him. We thank you for, over the past number of weeks, how he has been preaching and how we have been taught consistently your word and your truths and the great doctrines of your word. And we pray that that will continue today. Help us to listen, help us to learn, help us to apply to our lives what you have to say to us. For your glory alone, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. First Peter three fifteen. And we read, but in your hearts acknowledge Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I 
I'm sure you know of Ravi Zacharias, who passed away this week. He was an Indian-born Christian um, evangelist and apologist, and he was passionate about making a defence for the gospel. Thousands of people worldwide have been impacted by his ministry. Many have been thankful to God for his passion and teaching, particularly on evangelism and apologetics. And his passion was to provide logic for the existence of God, and thereby to answer key questions such as the origin of life, the meaning of life, or destiny, which of course can only be answered when we acknowledge the existence of God. But he wanted to equip God's people to defend the gospel in the face of opposition. Because where we strive to present the gospel, there will be opposition. In this letter we have in the New Testament that Peter read for us, the Apostle Peter's desire was to equip God's people to be able to defend the gospel in the face of of opposition and key to this is the way we live as Christians. Rabbi Zacharias he once wrote that the ultimate calling upon the apologist is to live a life reflecting the person of Christ and Peter is very clear about this in his letter. And also what is very clear is that the pattern that Christ followed from suffering to glory will be the pattern for Christ's followers. We can talk about evangelism and we can feel very excited about the prospect and potential of what God might do. And often when we think of an evangelist, we, we think of one who is well known where they live, perhaps one who, who gets a hearing from large crowds, one who is respected by their listeners. But what about when the Christian evangelist is unpopular? When they stick out like a sore thumb where they live? When they are disrespected by those around them? When they are slandered, opposed and offended. This is the reality for God's people. Jesus Christ, the evangelist, did not escape this. Therefore, we shouldn't expect to escape this either. Peter was writing to Christian believers in a situation such as this. But these believers have great hope. And that's what I want to think about this morning. Firstly, hope from the past, then hope for the future, and then hope in the present. So hope from the past, verses 1 and 2. Peter That is, an apostle of of Jesus Christ, he was one of the twelve disciples, he was one of Jesus' closest companions, and he was one who had a roller coaster journey of faith. 
He was one of the first to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, yet at the first opportunity he denied knowing Jesus. Well, this Peter, verse 1, he writes to elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These are all areas round what we know as modern day Turkey. And they cover a wide area of lands. If you look on a map, you'll see these places make a circle in the map, which made it very visible for this letter to be circulated round various churches. These believers were in small house churches. They are really unknown to us. Um, it's also unknown who brought the gospel to these areas. If it had been Peter himself, um, you would imagine there would be reference to this in the letter. But he's, he's got to know of these believers and he seeks to encourage them in the faith. But I, I think actually the fact that these churches were basically anonymous, I think that's very encouraging. Because what you realise is that the gospel is always spreading. The church is always being added to, even when we don't see, hear, or know of it. Peter writes to elect exiles. Believers, unknown to us, but elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That is, they were chosen. They were known by God. They were loved by God before the foundation of the world. And the word elect would have brought them assurance, comfort and security as God's people. They were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And we can see very clearly there the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit working together to accomplish salvation. Now the word sanctification there, it's not what we call progressive sanctification where we gradually become holy, we become more like Christ, but, but it's being set apart as holy. And we are set apart for obedience to Jesus Christ, that is initial obedience when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. The Father chose, the Holy Spirit sets apart or applies or allows the person, enables the person to know who Jesus is and respond to him. And for sprinkling with his blood. It's almost certainly a reference to Exodus 24. And there God's people had been delivered from Egypt and God has given them his law and he was entering into covenant with his people. And I think it's worth reading from Exodus. I'm going to read from Exodus 24 and verse 5. I'll give you just a moment 
to look that up. Exodus 24 and verse 5. And there we read, Moses sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So we see God and his people entered into covenant with each other through a mediator that was Moses and sealed, the covenant was sealed with blood. Now of course we know the history, God's people did not keep their commitment to this covenant. But this covenant points us to a new and better covenant. We turn to Hebrews 9 and we read, Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. See, we as Christians, as God's people, we are in covenant with God. And we have been brought into this covenant through the obedience of Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross for our sin, and this covenant is sealed by his own blood. And so Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May you know the grace of God and the peace you have with God through the death of Jesus Christ. Peter writes to elect exiles. They are chosen by God. They belong to God eternally. But they are exiles. Again exiles is probably taken from the Old Testament. When God's people were exiles. Living in a land that was not their own. But here Peter uses this as a way really of referring to all Christians living in a land that is not our home. It's like when Paul wrote to the Philippians and he, he said their citizenship is in heaven. So these people Peter writes to, and the same for us today, they are God's people. Heaven is our home, but yet we arrive to heaven through living life on this earth as exiles. As those who don't really belong here, who don't really fit, and actually are often receive abuse because of it. And Peter tells these people that they, they learn to live as exiles by looking to future hope. And we see that in verses 3 
to five. Hope for the future. From this opening greeting, Peter then praises God, verse three. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfearing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter praises God for hope. He, he draws these believers to the hope that is theirs through Jesus Christ. Through this period of lockdown, there have been many hopes. I read a sign outside McDonald's this week. It said, we are sorry we are closed. We hope to be open soon. That's a vague hope. Who knows when that might be. Or perhaps we hope to be protected from this virus. Or we hope we will get some more nice weather. Or perhaps we hope to be able to go on holiday as we planned. Or perhaps I hope my wedding can happen in July, August. Oh, but we hope to be able to be with mum on her birthday. We hope, we hope, we hope. One thing this pandemic has taught us is that life is so uncertain, so unpredictable. I mean, many of these hopes, many of our hopes throughout life are vague at best. We hope for things that are uncertain that may or may not happen. Our hope is placed in what may or may not happen in the future. And that uncertainty often causes us to stress in the present. But Peter draws these believers' attention to a hope that is sure, that is certain, that is guaranteed. Well, what is this hope and how can we be so certain? Well, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was raised to life forever, those who put their hope in him will also be raised to life forever. We have been given new life now. We belong to God, but we will face physical death. Jesus is our living hope. We will be raised again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading in heaven. We may live as exiles now, but we are moving towards an eternal home.
Our home in heaven will be imperishable. That is, it will never be destroyed. Our lives will never be destroyed or affected by sickness or by accidents or by anything else. Our home in heaven will be undefiled. That is, it will be unpolluted. Sin will be no more. Peter's writing to believers in a hostile situation. They're receiving slander and and ridicule because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter encourages them, look to future hope. Look to the life you will have that will be undefiled. There will be no slander, there will be no hatred, there will be no selfishness. There will be no ill motives or sly comments, no resenting or jealousy or bitterness. Our home in heaven will be unfeeling. That is, it will not decay. The beauty and the glory and the joy of heaven will never fade. Rabbi Zacharias, he once said, The story of the gospel is the story of eternal life. He said, my life is unique and will endure eternally in God's presence. I will never be no more. I will never be lost because I will be with the one who saves me. Living hope, life eternal in a perfect world at home with God. You may have noticed in this passage, Peter draws their attention to heaven six times. You see it in verses 3, in verses 4, 5, 7, 9 and 10. He wants them to have their minds set on future hope. And we can see already how God's people are not fitting in with those around them. Because God's people, their hope is in the life to come. Those who are not God's people, well most likely their hope is in the here and now. And as God's people, we've got to ask ourselves, where is our hope? Do we place it in family? Do we place it in health? Do we place it in wealth and possessions? I mean, surely, if anything, this pandemic that we're going through, which has pushed death in our face again, has showed us that if our hope is in the here and now, we are going to be sorely disappointed. Remember how Jesus taught, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. When your trust is in possessions and your hope is in here and now, that will be taken away from you. You can be guaranteed of that. But when your trust is in Jesus and your hope is in heaven, 
Nothing will take that away from you. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. You can be guaranteed of that. I would say this morning, if your trust is not in Jesus, may you turn to him. May you trust him that you might know a real, eternal, living hope. Well, why can we be certain of this hope? Well, it's very simple. We're being guarded by God's power, Peter says, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our hope is dependent on God's power. <laughs> Our salvation from start to finish is dependent upon God. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Jesus came and died in our place so that we could be brought into relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit opened our eyes, opened our hearts to know who Jesus is and to turn to him. And now that we are God's, he is keeping us until we receive full salvation on the last day. When Jesus returns to take us home. And this future hope provides us with present hope. We have hope in the present. Look at verse 6. Peter continues, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter has drawn their eyes to heaven to a living hope, and this is crucial because currently they're being grieved by various trials. Peter's saying you must view your present suffering in light of your living hope. You must view your present sufferings with the perspective of heaven. But what are these trials? Well, if, if we go through First Peter, there are, there are some indicators for us. For example, First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Or 1 Peter 2, 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respects, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You go to 3, 16. Peter says, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. Or chapter 4. And you can read through in verses 1 to 6 there, but, but we see that since Christ has suffered, Peter says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And he goes on to say that to cease from sin you will suffer in the flesh. 
You may suffer strong temptation, the frustration, the distraction that this can bring. Chapter 4, verse 12. Peter says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And you see again, we follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. Now we come back to chapter 1 verse 6. We've now got some indication within the letter here of what these believers are suffering. They're suffering people speaking against them. They're being treated unfairly. They're being slandered because they are Christian. Now now at this time it's unlikely they were suffering more extreme persecution or state persecution. But they're suffering in that they are Christian. They are exiles. they, They feel they don't belong. They're often isolated because they are Christian. They're slandered when they don't hold the same opinions as family and co-workers and perhaps those they're living beside. And you see, now we're really beginning to identify with these believers. While we have freedom to identify as Christian today where we live, we are increasingly receiving opposition for being Christian. That is, for allowing Christianity to determine behaviour, morals, lifestyle choices and so forth. Many respect us for identifying as Christian, but they will not respect us for speaking about our faith in Christ. It may be called forcing your beliefs. And we can spend time mourning the state of the world... But as we move through 1 Peter, what you'll see that that Peter is, is not so concerned with the state of the world, but rather he's more concerned with the believer's conduct and response to those people in the world. And one thing is crystal clear in 1 Peter. And that is, becoming a Christian, following Jesus, does not Free you from suffering in this life. It will not free you from suffering in general. And in fact if you are a Christian you should expect to suffer because you are a Christian. I mean, scripture tells us quite plainly you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Peter says rejoice in the hope of heaven. Rejoice that trials you face now will not touch or affect your eternal inheritance. Rejoice that that these trials are for just a little while. In comparison to eternity, the trials you suffer now, they're, they're just for a little while. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we do not lose heart, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now this is not to say that trials you face are not hugely significant and do not cause you significant pain. It does not say that you should not have grief and you will not have grief. Rather what we see is that grief and joy exist together. In your trials there is joy. And perhaps your trials push you even more to the hope of heaven as you long to be in heaven. And God has purpose in trials. In fact, Peter says they are necessary so that your faith may be proved genuine. Okay, so don't think trials have have come to you and, and somehow have slipped past God's notice and, and if he had noticed he wouldn't have allowed them to come. No, trials are necessary. God is using trials to prove the genuineness of your faith. Now again, perhaps trials, sufferings in general, but more so when you receive trials for being Christian, and you're still standing, you're still believing, you're still holding on to hope, then you're assured yourself of your salvation, and others around you can see that the faith you have is real and genuine. Trials prove our faith is genuine, and trials sanctify us. We see Peter speaks here about gold. I mean, gold is precious in this world. And gold is tested by fire to take all the impurities away. Uh, And when it comes out of the fire, it is proved genuine gold. When we are tested with trials, it often exposes to us where our faith and trust is. Our reactions to trials often expose sin in our hearts. And if that is exposed, we can repent of that. We can turn. We can redirect our trust again to Jesus. We can place our hope again and more in the life to come, more than in the life here and now. And we see that gold, precious as it is, will be done away with when Jesus returns. And then we will know what is truly precious, what is truly valuable, what is truly lasting, as genuine faith gives way to sight when we see Jesus face to face and all that has been kept and guarded for us. You see, we live by faith, not by sight. First, see, though you have not seen him, you love him, that is Jesus. 
Though you do not see him, you believe with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we rejoice, though for a little while we have trials. Through these we are assured of faith. We are becoming more like Christ and so obtaining the outcome of our salvation until the last day when we will receive full salvation. Jesus will be glorified and we will share in his glory. What a hope we have. What a wonderful salvation we have been given. I mean, one that even prophets and angels long to know verses 10 to 12 let me read this verses 10 to 12 concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. We are a privileged people. We could say we are the envy of prophets and angels. Peter says the prophets, that is the prophets of the Old Testament, were serving not themselves, but you. You believers scattered across Asia Minor. The prophets studied diligently as to when the Christ would come and the circumstances around it, what this might all look like. But these believers that Peter is writing to, and all believers ever since, we are living in the time of fulfilment. Jesus has been. Jesus has suffered. Jesus has been raised and returned to his Father and given us the Holy Spirit. And these things have been told to us in the power of the Holy Spirit that we would believe and receive salvation. These things even angels long to look. You know, angels can be in awe and wonder of God's working of salvation, but they will never experience that like we do. You know, you might think, wouldn't it have been great to have been a prophet and hear from God as they did? Or wouldn't it be great to be an angel and, and to see what they see and do what they do? Maybe so. But greater is the privilege to live in this time. To have the gospel revealed. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, 
we thank you for such a great salvation, for such a hope that we have, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, as we face trials, living as exiles, may these trials prove our faith to be genuine. May you work in us through trials that we might become more like Christ. May we view all things through our future hope. May we have joy even with sorrow. Our God, we we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, just now to close, Emma is going to sing, um, There is a hope. The Lord bless you. Mm-hmm.